Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Our sermon podcast is available in most places that you can find podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even iHeartRadio. We have nearly a year of sermon podcasts available for you to listen to, so you can find one of those locations, subscribe, and go through the backlog of sermons. In this age of Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, people are measuring their worth by the number of views, likes, and subscribers they get from a post. It's a lot of fun to watch the number of likes and views rise, but this is not a healthy way to measure your worth. Very little is required of us when we follow a post or a feed in social media. It's about as unobtrusive of a human interaction as you can have. Following someone is essentially one person nearly anonymously checking a box of another person that they'll probably never meet face to face. There's very little involved. Imagine, if you would, if liking or following someone on social media had requirements and expectations, that by liking someone, we became obligated to live differently or be held to a new standard or to make sacrifices in our own lives. Following a person on TikTok or Instagram will not transform your life or give you more meaning, but then following someone on social media is painless. Today, we're looking at the words of Jesus of what it means to follow him as a disciple. Unlike social media, following Jesus has a cost, but following Jesus is also the most dramatic change you can bring into your life. We should not measure our worth by social media views and followers, but we can know our worth when we realize what Jesus has done for us. Jesus loves you and me so deeply that he came and he died for us that we could be set free from the penalty of sin and granted entrance into heaven. But receiving salvation is not like following someone on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you are to be his disciple. And being a disciple of Jesus is not easy, but it is the best thing that you can do with your life. In our text today, Jesus lays out three requirements to succeed as a disciple, and they are these. Deny yourself, bear the cross, and follow Jesus. These are not easy, but Jesus only asks of us what he has already done himself. Let's read the text in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father and with the holy angels." Well, as I read that text, I'm reminded that we are actually are a lot like Peter. 
Just a few verses prior to our text today, Jesus asked the disciples some questions. Who do the people say I am, is what he asks, and the disciples give encouraging answers. Well, they think you're Elijah or John the Baptist or, or one of the prophets of old. But then Jesus presses the disciples and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, in a moment of clarity, answers, you are the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Peter got it right. He moved to the head of the class. But he does not understand what that means. Everybody was looking for the Messiah, and they were looking for a king, <clears throat> excuse me, as a liberator, who would restore Israel to former glory. Jesus came to lay down his life to restore all of humanity to God. Peter knew who Jesus was, but he did not know what Jesus was trying to do. He mistook what he was trying to do. And so Peter fell into the trap of deciding what victory and success looked like. So when Jesus started describing how he would suffer and be killed, Peter was puzzled. He said, this isn't what victory looks like. And, and so Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. And I can hear Peter's words. So he's going, wait, Jesus, that's, that's not how this works. That's not what victory looks like. You do not win by losing. And Jesus responds with the harsh word, get behind me, Satan. Peter is unknowingly doing the work of the enemy instead of the work of the Lord. When we put our idea of victory and success ahead of God's plan, we run the risk of having these same words said of us, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus gives us a simple teaching of what it means to be his disciples, how to avoid that phrase, Get behind me, Satan, how to have success as his disciples. And he says this, You will have victory when you deny yourself, when you bear the cross, and when you follow Jesus. So let's start by talking about denying yourself. Jesus asks us to deny ourselves and to follow him. This is not the same as self-denial, giving up stuff for Jesus. I mean, we're in the season of Lent right now, and during the season of Lent, people often give up things. They give up uh, either maybe a type of food, or they, they, they fast, or there's something that people give up to try to draw near to Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is asking here. David Garland describes denying yourself like this. He says, Jesus does not ask disciples to deny something to themselves, but to deny the self and all self-promoting ambitions. So how do we deny ourselves? David Garland continues and he says, every day we must open ourselves up to God's initiatives and control. So often when a person thinks about following Jesus, they think about the stuff and the habits they'll have to give up. But it's more about denying ourself, that is, our ambitions, who we are as the one in charge, and putting Jesus in charge of our lives. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 tells us this. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, it's not me, it's not I, it is Jesus. According to sociolog sociologist Robert Bella, 81% of the American people say they agree that an individual should arrive at his or her own religious belief independent of any church or synagogue. Thus, the key to the paradox is the fact that those who claim to be Christians are arriving at faith on their own terms, terms that make no demands on behavior. A woman named Sheila was interviewed by Bella uh, in his book for Heart Habits of the Heart, and she embodies this attitude saying, I believe in God. 
I can't remember the last time I went to church, but my faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice that I follow. If we're the ones with the sole ability to decide what is best for us, then perhaps we've not yet denied ourselves. When Roy Delamonte was chaplain at Payne College in Georgia, he preached the shortest sermon in the college's history. However, he had a very long title, and the title of his sermon was this, What does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? Let me read that title again. The title of his sermon was, What does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? The complete content of his sermon was just one word, nothing. He later explained that that one-word sermon was meant for people brought up with a gimme-gimme gospel. When asked how long it took him to prepare that message, he said 20 years. It takes a long time to learn that we are not at the center. In life, we will each day be tempted to listen to the power of the voices of I, me, and mine. I must do what's right for me, and I only want what is mine, is what we often say. I, me, mine put each one of us at the center of our world, and this makes us feel like we're winning right now, but we're only earning eternal emptiness. When you describe who you are, this is a challenge for you, when you describe who you are and what you want to achieve, do you use words like I, me, mine, my, or do you speak the name Jesus and what he desires over your life? I think that will indicate a little bit of whether or not we have denied ourselves. D.L. Moody says this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. We can't win if we are the center of our lives, but we move forward into victory when we deny ourselves. The second part of Jesus's call for his disciples is to bear the cross. After we deny ourselves, we must take up the cross. We must bear it. No bearing, no bearing the cross is. Know this: that bearing the cross is different from brandishing it. We do not wear it as a symbol to preach at others or simply to be proud of its display. We should uh, be encouraged by the the symbol of the cross. But we don't brandish it. That's not what is meant by bearing the cross. Just as Jesus bears the cross and lays down his life for our redemption, we are to bear the cross ourselves. And the cross refers to self-sacrifice. Taking up the cross means suffering. And bearing the cross is messy business. The act of crucifixion, uh, the Romans, in the act of crucifixion, the Romans made the condemned person, carry the cross, the cross beam, to the site of crucifixion. And Cicero would describe the act of crucifixion like this, saying it's a cruel, disgusting penalty, the worst of extreme tortures inflicted on slaves, and something to be dreaded. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to. He says, bear your cross, bear the cross. He's asking us to join the company of the dreaded. That's not something we generally warm up to. And when it's described like this, a lot of people will say, you know what, that's not for me. I like the easy cross, but that's not what Jesus offers. He offers the tough cross, the one that is one that requires suffering. Even Peter, 
when he heard about bearing the cross and Jesus dying and raising from the dead in three days, even Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. He tried to tell Jesus that death wasn't the plan. It's not supposed to work like this. The, cr the cross is difficult for us to understand. It's difficult for us to bear. It's difficult for us to swallow. Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, he says this, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. That is to say this, the cross looks like foolishness to the Gentiles or the Greeks, and it causes the Jewish to stumble. Let this not be true for you. Let's not see the cross as foolishness. Let's not see the cross as a stumbling block. Let's realize that Jesus calls us to bear the cross. And Jesus tells us that if we want to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves and bear the cross. Charles Spurgeon says this, There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. And bearing the cross means we suffer. It doesn't just mean that we feel aches and pains of life and that we have a problem we can't seem to shake. Cross bearing is more specific. The cross represents oppression caused by people who oppose the faith and the witness of Christians. Bearing your cross means the suffering that results from living out the Christian life and having people who are not Christians be angry with you and be frustrated with you and not understand you and, and make decisions against you for no other reason than you follow Jesus. Bearing the cross is a test of our faith. And bearing the cross separates the disciple from the admirer. It moves us from just liking and subscribing to actively showing that we are committed and involved in following Jesus. And you know, suffering, bearing that cross and suffering, reveals what is genuine in us. Larry Osborne tells a story about testing, about suffering, well, testing really, and that suffering is a part of testing. And he talks about, a, well, a tree trimmer he purchased, and it goes like this. Years ago, I bought a heavy-duty brand name pruner at a street fair. It looked great, it felt sturdy, the ad copy on the box promised superb performance. The salesman told me he'd never had one returned. I thought I had gotten myself a great deal, but the third time I used it, the handle snapped off. What appeared to be high quality and heavy duty, capable of slicing through thick branches, was in reality a cleverly disguised knockoff broken by branches the size of kindling. It's easy to cut through the first few branches, and it had me fooled. But the moment it was tested on a larger branch, the truth came out. It was a counterfeit piece of junk. It's hard to tell if something is counterfeit or the real deal without first putting it to the test. And that is why our faith has to be tested. There is no other way to know the difference between the genuine and the bogus. And this testing is not for God, but for us, so that we know the depth of our own faith and can grow, uh, and can grow where it is less genuine than it should be. Bearing the cross is a form of a test, because the suffering reveals the genuine and produces wisdom and beauty in our lives. There's a little story about the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Council. It was an important church meeting that was held in the 4th century AD. There were 318 delegates attending, many of whom had suffered persecution for their faith. And the record was shown that fewer than 12 of the delegates had not lost an eye, 
or had not lost a hand, or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. 318 delegates, and 306 of them had lost an eye, a hand, or a limp, or had some other injury because of their faith. The suffering was a test, and had produced a group of worthy, wonderful leaders in the church. There's something else about bearing the cross. Bearing the cross guarantees victory. G.K. Chesterton says this, The cross cannot be defeated, for it is defeat. You can't lose if you're bearing the lowest thing. And so the Christian cannot lose because we bear a sign of defeat, the cross. And so we are only victorious in that. So we're to deny ourselves, we're to bear the cross, and finally, we are to follow Jesus. This would seem simple and obvious, but it's far harder for us to do than most of us realize. Most of us want to add Jesus to our lives instead of give up our lives and follow Jesus. And it's hard to be a follower. S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the questionnaire, uh, the question on the application uh, that asked, Are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, no, and returned the application, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. It's hard to be a follower. David Garland describes it well. One cannot live as a disciple the way many people watch television, sitting in a lounge chair with a remote control in hand, ready to switch channels or shows whenever, whenever something unpleasant, tedious, or demanding appears on the screen. Have you been switching channels in your faith? Stop. Decide to stop. Stop telling Jesus what to do and follow where he leads. So Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, to bear the cross, and to follow him. We're not to be the leaders, he is. And he ends with a word that is difficult to live out. In verses 35 and 36 of our, chapter, of our text today, we read these verses, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus asks us to gain victory in heaven by losing here on earth. I would contend that losing here on earth is a victory here on earth. It just may not look like it by the earthly standards. And by earthly standards, Christian victory does look like losing. We face the temptation all the time to seek worldly security rather than to risk our lives for Christ. We live in a world obsessed with winning. Whenever it, looks like we're, look, whenever it looks like we're not winning, we feel like a failure. And Jesus asks us to lose here so that we can win in heaven. When Mother Teresa was passing through a crowd in Detroit, a woman remarked, Her secret is that she's free to be nothing. Therefore, God can use her for anything. Are you willing to lose this world to gain eternity? This is not easy. This is the cost of following Jesus, but it is the type of following that will bring about worthy, glory, 
bring about worth and glory and transformation. I want to close with the words of Ugandan Bishop Festo, I'm not going to get his last name right, Kivengere's account of a 1973 execution by firing squad of three men in his diocese. So it's a sad story and yet a powerful story. These are his words. February 10th began as a sad day for us at Cabale. People were commanded to come to the stadium and witness the execution. Death permeated the atmosphere. A silent crowd of about 3,000 was there to watch. I had permission from the authorities to speak to the men before they died, and two of my fellow ministers were with me. They brought the men in a truck and unloaded them. They were handcuffed, and their feet were chained. The firing squad stood at attention. As we walked into the center of the stadium, I was wondering what to say. How do you give the gospel to doomed men who are probably seething with rage? We approached them from behind, and as they turned to look at us, what a sight! Their faces were alight with an unmistakable unmistakable glow and radiance. Before we could say anything, one of them burst out, Bishop, thank you for coming. I wanted to tell you, the day I was arrested in my prison cell, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. He came in and he forgave me of all my sins. Heaven is now open and there is nothing between me and my God. Please tell my wife and children that I'm going to be with Jesus. Ask them to accept him into their lives as I did. The other two men told similar stories, excitedly, excitedly raising their hands and which, which they rattled their handcuffs. I felt that what I needed to do was to talk to the soldiers, not to the condemned, so I translated what the men had said into the language the soldiers understood. The military men were standing there with guns cocked, bewilderment on their faces. They were so dumbfounded that they forgot to put hoods on the men's faces. The three men faced the firing squad standing close together. They looked toward the people and began to wave, handcuffs at all, and the people waved back, and the shots were fired, and the three were with Jesus." We stood in front of them, our own hearts throbbing with joy, mingled with tears. It was a day never to be forgotten. Though dead, the men spoke loudly to all of Kige's district and beyond, so that there was an upsurge of life in Christ, which challenges death and defeats it. The next Sunday, I was preaching to a huge crowd in the hometown of one of the executed men. Again, the feel of death was over the congregation, but when I gave one... But when I gave them the testimony of their man and how he died, there erupted a great song of praise to Jesus. Many turned to the Lord there. Lord Jesus, help each one of us to live out your command to deny ourselves, to bear the cross, and to follow you wherever we lead. I know, Lord, that as soon as we do this, we'll feel the weight of the cross and we'll be tested. Help each one of us to see the glory and victory of heaven clearly so that we might joyfully follow you during whatever we face right now. And Lord, help us to live in such a way that others would see Jesus and rejoice and follow Jesus and be filled with the joy of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.